99% of stuff that's being put out in the Western media about this country and about political things in this country and, and women in this country and women's sport in this country, it's just not true. It, it's, it's different, of course it's different, but overall the culture here, I mean, what I would say is from day one, the locals, the staff that we work with, the local staff, everybody is so friendly, so welcoming so happy. Miles Smith has served as an assistant manager at Al Ittihad Club in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Playing a pivotal role in steering the club's management and strategic direction, Miles has made a substantial contribution to the Saudi football landscape. Before joining Al Ittihad Club, Miles has had valuable experiences in the football industry working at Manchester United and West Ham United in England. Now based in the Middle East, Miles brings his wealth of experience and expertise to significantly contribute to the success of Saudi Arabia and football. His relocation underscores Miles' dedication to fostering the growth and advancement of the game, particularly within the Saudi context. Now on this podcast, Miles discusses his journey of moving to Saudi Arabia, shedding light on the evolving landscape of women's football and the journey he has taken. He shares experiences into the unique aspects of the football scene and draws comparisons between the football environment in the Middle East and Europe. So the female game, how did that become an influence on you and how did you merge yourself in that sector? It sort of came to me. Um, I was working at uh, West Ham Men's Academy at the time uh, with the under-23 team. Um, my tutor, um, I had two tutors really, one called Karim Tayara, who's out in Dubai at the moment, uh, Abu Dhabi, and one called Greg Dekarnis. And they really took me under their wing when I was working at West Ham with the academy, as, as I say, as a sports scientist. Um, then at the time, Greg went across to the to the women's team. I think he was 13 years in the men's academy, did an unbelievable job there, um, overseeing the uh, elite performance department. I did a great job with a lot of world-class players that we see in the men's game today. Um, but then he went across to the women's team. Similar to me, really, he he was, just, I don't want to say a waste his sports sciences because he was unbelievable at what he did, but coaching was his real you know, where his skills really were and his, his passion. So when the job got offered to be the West Ham women's manager, he took it. Um, I was sort of back in Leeds at the time, finishing off my degree, while sort of making the trip to, to London every now and then, every, a couple of times a week to, to work for West Ham here and where I could really. Um, but he, he asked me to go with him, told me to finish my degree off, which I already had probably about a month or so left. The timing was really nice. Um, and asked me to go with him to to support him um, with the women's team at West Ham. Um, and so that's that's sort of how I fell into it, really. And to be honest, I've not looked back since. Um, it's been, been an unbelievable journey in, in the women's game. And at the time, the WSL in England was reshaping, reforming. Um, it was a really exciting time to be a part of it. Um, Greg ended up leaving. Um, new manager came in, Matt Beard, um, who also, again, sort of took me under his wing. Um, kept me on and uh, asked me to work with him um, and that's when we were sort of really becoming we just entered the WSL as West Ham first time ever um, so it's a lot of changes going on at the club obviously Jack Sullivan was our director um, obviously his, his parents owned the club his family owned the club um, so it was a really exciting time um, and yeah being a part of that project was something that I always look back to um, we almost had a bit, a bit of a blank canvas, and that was nice in a way, you know. We had a we had an unbelievable, ambitious project at the time, and a bit of a blank canvas to 
to paint what we wanted on there and we we did an unbelievable job in all seriousness we you know we FA Cup final and had some good good uh good seasons within the league and you know it was a, it was a brand new squad that got put together so yeah Matt and Matt Matt deserves a lot of credit for that but yeah that's sort of how I I came into women's football and, and what brings me here so for those that don't know you Miles you mentioned your your journey from West Ham and then kind of learning can you just inform your journey from from that period as as you kind of alluded to 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 the Middle East and how that came about that transition just just for those that want to maybe be intrigued and inspired by how you got to the position that you're in now yeah of course I think um everybody as I said everybody's journey's journey is different um I was fortunate enough as I say to to work in elite sport really it was one of my first first real jobs in sport I've what you normally find is quite of a, a linear pathway, you know, where people may start working at a, a grassroots level and then they find themselves in an academy and they potentially work through the age groups in an academy and um, depending on what route they want to go, potentially find themselves in the first team at some stage. But I, I was very fortunate and lucky to um, to step into the professional world really early on. Um, I actually worked in rugby to start with um doing some strength conditioning and sports science um but i think whilst i was at university i just tried to find ways to make myself a little bit different you know there was i don't know i always used to figure nine thousand, but there was there was x amount of students that was graduating with with the same degree as what i had just at leeds beckett university let alone every university around the world so i tried to sort of quite early spend a lot of my energy and my time of course on the academics but trying to find ways of getting out there and making myself different filling my cv up filling my experience up so as i say started off in rugby uh, with leeds rhinos and and castleford tigers but uh that's not my sport <laughs> um i had to learn quite quickly learn the rules and all the rest of it um and obviously wanted to be in football so um sort of applied for an internship at west ham and took a year out of my university degree and again, I remember when I was at West Ham, I remember walking in on day one um, as a sports science intern. I think there was three other sports science interns. There was probably around about nine analyst interns. Um, I think, this is, I think that there was a few coaching interns as well. So you're surrounded by interns and you, you sort of, again, on day one, I was sort of thought to myself, right, what can I do to, to make myself different from the other interns um but also to try and not just have a year's internship at the end of this and thank you very much you know you've got some great experience i wanted a job i wanted a job at the end of it and i wanted to try and do everything that i could pro- possibly do to get a job so that's what i did really um put in every hour that i could possibly put in um look to get involved in every department um look to learn as much as i can but to build relationships with everybody that i possibly could um and i got the reward at the end of it you know so that was my time at West Ham. I think I was with the boys or involved in some capacity for probably around about three to four, maybe three and a half seasons. Um, worked with some really great athletes there. Um, some, you know, in- England internationals that we see today. Um, to players that are playing in Premier League, Championship League One, League Two. And it's great because I'm still in touch with them all, you know. So it's nice to it's nice to have those relationships with, with the players and, you know, they still say thank you today. Um, for the, look, I played a really small part, but you know it's all, all great people, and I think that's what that's what brings me the most uh, reward uh, that we that we developed great people as well as great great footballers. Um, so then, as I say, I went across to 
went across to the women's team um, and worked at a, at a semi-professional level with West Ham for a season. Um, I think probably halfway through the season, Greg left, so sort of took on the interim role as the manager and we had a really successful end to the season. I don't think we lost a game and we ended up winning the league. We won the FA Plate. Um, so we had a really successful season there. And to, again, kind of got thrown into things, to be thrown into that interim role straight away without really being ready or prepared. Um, but, you know, it teaches you a lot and you get a lot of vital experience from it. And then obviously Matt came in and Jack came in and made it all professional and managed to survive and work under Matt. Obviously someone who's extremely experienced in the women's game, um, worked with him. Um, again, maybe three or four seasons, learned a lot from him, um, you know, working alongside him very closely. He was great, um, fantastic person, really cares about really cares about his staff. Um, and I remember when he left, um, when he left the club, he gave me a phone call and said, listen, you're going to be a top, top coach one day. Um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And obviously at the time, you just think those are nice words and things like that. But he, he gave me a lot of advice and information on that same phone call. And it's sort of things that I'm sort of seeing now as I'm, you know, stepped into a, into a new environment, if you like. Give us some, some insight on, on how that works, how that process of, of you working at Man United and then all of a sudden you're getting phone calls, you're getting interest from, from clubs of a side of the world in the Middle East. Talk to me about that because obviously the reason I ask that and the reason I stopped you is, is very much there might be people that are listening or watching that are intrigued by the growth of sport globally mm. and these opportunities in other countries. Just Just talk to me about how it happens and some of the things that you have to be aware of during that transition? Yeah, of course. To be honest with you, I don't think I can give great insight because it was completely random. Um, and look, if I'm being completely honest, I didn't I didn't really know much about um, football in Saudi Arabia. It was at the time when it was blowing up with Benzema going and, and Jota going and Ronaldo obviously had just been. So you hear all the headline stories, but I didn't know anything about women's football in, in, in Saudi Arabia. Um, so... As I said, I was happy working at United. Um, hadn't been there too long. Um, and Nick Nick is a guy that I'd worked with in the past. Again, sort of building connections. Um, he was um, helping Greg, who brought me in at West Ham. He was helping him to get a role in out in Asia many years ago. And Greg asked me to go with him. And, and Nick was the one that was sorting it all out. It ended up falling through. I hadn't spoken to Nick for probably about two two years, maybe three years. And as I say, he just ran me um, completely out of the blue, um, asking if I'd be interested. So I listened. We had a call for a, probably over a couple of hours, and I listened, and um, it sounded interesting. I think at that first phone call, it sounded interesting, and I wanted to know more. Um, he explained everything that's happening in Saudi Arabia and women's football at the moment, which I'm sure we'll get onto. Um but yeah, I think spoke to the board, spoke to um, a woman called Haya, part of the management team, and a, a man called Abdulaziz, part of the management team here. And I think right from the very first call that we had, um, the passion that they showed for not only Itihad and women's the club, the women's club at Itihad, but women's football in general in this region, it was it was inspiring. I just remember just just feeling a bit shocked and a little bit sort of like can't believe that they've they've managed to pull my leg away from my boyhood club here. But I knew straight I knew straight away that they had and they almost had me straight away. 
Um, and it was a little bit, it's almost like I didn't want to admit it at first. You know, I was almost trying to, trying to think of reasons that maybe I should stay at Man United. It, it's Man United, right? It's the, the best, best club in the world. Um, but yeah, I think whenever I look at a project, whenever I get off the job, for me, it's about who am I surrounded by? You know, what is the potential of this project? Um, what is the passion with the people I'm going to be working with? And, and what can we make this be? You know, is it the potential? Is it ambitious? Have we got the potential to make this something world-class? Um, and we do. And we, and we did when they spoke to me. So that's what sort of tore me away. But in terms of that transition, as I say, it was, I think, look, you, you can say it's random, but it comes from many years of um, doing those little bits, speaking to people, forming relationships with people, um, doing well in previous jobs that you've had. So you've got, you know, you've got um, a good CV and a good word of mouth. People are speaking about you, um, working above and beyond the call of duty in every role that you're in for every person that you work with. I think it's not random. That's where it comes from. Many years of that. Um, but you don't know that when you just get a call one random Wednesday night, you know? So, um, yeah, I think it's it's um, probably probably come from all of the, the past and the people I've worked with and the people I've spoken to and stuff like that. But, yeah, it, it did feel very random at the time. So is there an interview process within that, that transition then? Obviously geographically that that could be a challenge from from a practical sense to demonstrate your, your skills and competencies on the pitch obviously this a sense of trust for you you know you mentioned networking and getting to understand um opportunities and getting to network with people and, and, and showing your skills via that way but what what's the process in terms of getting the role then is, is there is there an interview process is there a a, a formal chat is there an informal chat i'm just interested on how that process happened for you to go okay it's time to maybe take the leap and try something new talk to me about that yeah it's uh i think it's a little bit different to to a, a job that you'd take in the uk because you know you see the job advert and you read the job spec and you you have a good insight as to what it entails for this job at itihad i think it was a little bit of both so i think it started off with a few informal conversations and almost like almost like I was interviewing them um, you know asking what the project's about where they want to take it um, so it was very much the first few phone calls um, we had about probably around 25-30 phone calls by the way um, but yeah the first few phone calls were very much about them them letting me know what I'm I'm coming to which I I, I really appreciated because yeah, I could see it wasn't a sales pitch um, I could see it was genuine and um, it showed that they cared. They really, really took their time to explain everything and answer every single question that I had thoroughly um, before then trying to go to the next stage, which was them finding out about me um, and seeing if I was the right person for them. So I think it's a bit of both. Was this project the right thing for me? And then once we thought that it was, um, am I the right person for them? Um, and I think, look, Jobs for football and Nick get a lot of credit for that because they were the ones. They Nick almost had, from what I understand, he had con he had control and certainly a massive influence on the people that got the roles. Um, he was tasked with the job of bringing the people in um, to the club. So when he rang me, I don't want to say that I had the job already because that's certainly not the case. But you're almost put in very good in a very good position from the start, if that makes sense. Um, so 
yeah, once once they discussed with me the project and the plans, then it was over to me and and like you're doing interviews, trying to trying to see what you can bring. Um, and it just seemed to really fit really well the, the club's philosophy, where they want to go, the direction they want to head in, um, aligned really well with my own individual philosophy and and what I see important within football, within women's football, and within just you know in in life itself. So. Um, yeah, there was there was numerous phone calls, and then and then it comes down to obviously the last few phone calls, your contract talks and contract negotiations, getting all that finalised and tidied up, and then once it was all done, it is in place um, as a group of staff. Once we got brought together, um, obviously we had myself, we had the head coach, goalkeeper coach, sports scientist, head of medical, um, who were international staff as well as the local staff that were already there. We had again. 10 to 15 Zoom calls before we arrived, getting things ready, working on our recruitment strategy, all the things that go into uh, that go into getting the project started. Really, so it was it was a lot of calls. Um, but as I said, I've, from day one, I was I was pretty sold on it. And with that, obviously relocation, you mentioned contracts, etc. I'm interested. Is there if there is a support with that relocation? Is there a, a you know somewhere for you to stay? Did or do you have to go and find that yourself? Or is there a is there a period of you, you know, becoming embedded into the culture? I'm just interested in how they supported you with the, within that. Yeah, no, I think th- this is where higher Abdulaziz and and Nick deserve massive amounts of credit. You know, everything we seen, it was so real. We were put at ease right from the start um, before taking the role. What we were going to be given, what was included in the contract, and honestly, f- from the minute that they, they they did everything for us, our flights were booked for us, our visas were sorted for us. When we landed, they was there at the airport to meet us. We got some Etihad merchandise. They had mobile phones ready for us. Um, we got taken straight to a hotel, uh, a really nice hotel. Um, and we stayed there for the first three weeks. And then our apartments were ready. Um, so we're all now in apartments. Um, there's three of us that live in the same block, all different apartments, but the same block. Um, and then two others, two others that live in, in, in a different place, different block. Um, but everything, this is where Haya and Abdulaziz and, and Nick, we are looked after so well, so well. Um, anything we need, we've been given cars, all your driving licenses and stuff sorted. I think they do everything they possibly can to make sure that we can try and focus on our jobs. Um, and yeah, everything that we've asked for, everything that we need, everything that, you know, I guess that we've requested, they've, they've given it to us. Um, and and they've they've done it efficiently and and um, yeah we've couldn't really have asked for much more to be honest. Now I don't think that's the case in every environment. If I'm honest, um, I'd never worked abroad. This is the first time I've worked abroad, but I've heard stories, not in Saudi Arabia necessarily, but any countries and any other country. Um, and I don't think people have been as lucky as what we have. So I don't want people to listen to this and think it's uh, <laughs> it's it's all sunshine and rainbows everywhere. I think, uh, as I said, it comes down to a little bit of luck again. But yeah, we we've been really looked after. Just on that, so obviously the perception of Saudi Arabia can be challenged from Western media and Western society. Has, has that surprised you in terms of you know the opportunity to embed yourself into the culture and having a little bit more of a, a luxury um, lifestyle and being supported with with that? And I say luxury lifestyle, but you supported in comparison to maybe getting a job at another football club in the UK better if that makes sense so I'm just interested on 
has it surprised you at all or is there anything that you you've you've thought of in a positive sense that could be challenged from the you know the perception of what others say about the the, the country as well as you know the, the football um surge that's happening there at the moment yeah um extremely surprised i guess is the word to use as you as you've just used yourself i think before coming to here before coming here i was to be honest like most people in the western world i was quite ignorant um i used to read the headlines i used to read the news i used to look on on uh twitter and everything you, you read is quite negative and you you just take it you just think it's true um and you you just you're just almost a bit brainwashed by it you don't really question it if in the world that we live in today, you you read it and you flick onto the next thing, or you flick onto the next article, or you open Instagram or whatever. You know, you just you read it and then that's it. You, t- you of course you question things, but I think look, coming here, it's I, I've said this before. I don't want to use the word everything, um, but I say ninety nine percent of stuff that's being put out in the Western media about this country and about political things in this country and, and women in this country and women's sport in this country. It's just not true. Um, it's just not true. And being here has been eye-opening. It's been, um, you almost feel a little bit sad, you know, for for people, for both sides, for the country itself, although they don't, you know, they, they take it with a pinch of salt. They're so used to it. I've spoke to local people and they're so used to these headlines that get written about them and know they aren't true. It doesn't affect them anymore, which in itself is quite sad, you know. Um, I guess it's, um, yeah, when it when you just become numb to it. Um, but but also sad for the Western world that, that, that there's all of these things that are being written and being put out there and people are believing that aren't true. Um, so it's one of those where you don't, you're not, you're not going to know, and you don't really know until you're here. And I think that that will change because of the great things that this country is doing, um, and will continue to do, and will achieve what they're they're set out to achieve. And then it, you know, it'll come to the, it'll come to light. You can see already at the moment how football's taking off here. Um, Saudi twenty thirty vision, w- women in sport here, women's right, everything, um, and people are starting to hear about that, but only just, you know. So it's going to take time. Um, but as I said to you, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I was one of those people. I must admit, I, I was I was ignorant to to what actually happens here versus what's written in the headlines. And I would just encourage anybody really to to find out for themselves, or to not just take everything as literal, um, because it's uh yeah, it's honestly not true. It's a it's a great place with great ambition, and um, yeah. as I said to you, I'm I'm confident that they will achieve what they want to achieve here. I, I think it's. Um a number of a range of things there's a sense of insecurity potentially from the west because of the the financial opportunities saudi arabia are offering and also as i think as well if you think about you know the, the past of its human rights record and everything that's associated with that and now there's a new kind of vision 2030 and trying to move on from that past it kind of lingers still and i think that's that perception is still apparent within that outlook towards the Middle East and, and the surrounding countries, Qatar and, and Dubai, etc., and how that perception is trying to change. Now, that leads on to my next question around your role within the women's game. Obviously, as mentioned, you know, women's rights have been a challenge previously in Saudi Arabia and how that has it's tried to be modified and, and the outlook towards that has differs uh, in more recent times. 
from your perspective working as a coach within the female game what what is it like for you in terms of that cultural perception and that opportunity to improve women's football because obviously there's a surge in the men's but also there's the, an attempt to bring a parallel with that through the women's uh, game and the opportunities within that how is that for you from a, from a cultural point of view to, to to enable those opportunities to transpire yeah and, and as I said previously you know it's one of the reasons that I'm it's so rewarding working in women's football is because that you're part of this evolution of of making the sport better but with that making people's lives better you know and giving opportunity to to a lot of people and whereas I was doing that in England and you know I'm now trying to do that around the world um, in a different country and similar to be honest very similar as to what I found myself in England you know with that blank canvas and the ability to put whatever color that that we think is right on the canvas well I'm able to do that now I think it's one of the main reasons I came was to be able to try and um positively impact people's lives um through football um Obviously, look, the, the football side of things speaks for itself. We want to come here. We want to win every game. We want to win the league, win the cup. We want to try and do everything. But there's a there's a side piece that comes with it that you're sort of almost doing alongside your coaching, and that's trying to trying to create opportunities for people, trying to improve people's lives. But at the same time, you know what I've realised here is when you're doing that in England, I'm I'm from England, you know, so I know the culture, I know the country, I know everything about it. When you're doing that here, it's Sometimes you, have, you know, I question myself: Who am I to try and who am I to say how to better someone's life? If that makes sense. Um, obviously, there's the obvious, there's the obvious stuff, but this is a completely different culture. It's a completely different um, place. Um, they do things differently. So, you know, you almost have to at the same time question: Well, I don't want to, I don't want to force, I don't want to force impact as to what I think is right. Um, but look, as long as as long as I'm here and there's the players that I'm working with are happy, enjoying their sport, getting different opportunities through football, or we're inspiring the next generation. Um, anything I can do to help support women's football in Saudi Arabia is what I want to do. Um, so yeah, it's uh, as I said, it's similar to what I found myself in England, just in a just in a different country. Have you found the culture in general, obviously, in comparison to the UK? The weather's obviously a lot different, but, you know, no alcohol, for example, um, you know, religious days, uh, the working week's different. T- tell me about, you know, how have you adapted to that? And is it is it better? I, again, from your subjective point of view, I'm interested on its comparison to maybe the, the lifestyle in Europe, etc. How is it for you in terms of, you know, your social life and social activities, etc.? It, it's, it's different. Of course, it's different. But... Overall, the culture here, I mean, what I would say is from day one, the locals, the staff that we work with, the local staff, everybody is so friendly, so welcoming, so happy. Um, Like they're just in the UK, we have this, uh, we have this, it sounds like I hate the UK. I really don't. I promise. I love it. But it's, uh, in, in the UK, we have this, like, people have this perception of us that, look, we're, we're, we're grumpy and we work too hard and we moan about everything. And, like, that, it's, it's almost the opposite here, you know? People can obviously see that I'm, in a, I'm an international and whether you go to the shop or anything, they, they want to help you. They want to help you with your bags, with your trolley. They want to help you get out your car. They want to help you 
go back to your car. Like they just love it that you're here and they love it that you're giving the country an opportunity and a chance. And you know, you, you've come here yourself. And again, it goes back to what we said before, you, you've come here to find out for yourself. And I think a lot of people respect that, that you're here, uh, you're here helping. Um, so the culture is, yeah, it's the, the people are uh, amazing. Um, in terms of the days that that's been a little challenging, um, everything happens in the evening here. So whereas in the UK, I was very much a, a morning type of person here, you know, the, a lot of people don't start their days till maybe 1 PM. Um, and especially in the summer, you know, due to the heat. So everything's done in the evening. We train in the evening. We're probably staying up every, every evening until sort of 2 AM. And then, um, you start again, your day at 1 PM. Um, so it's, it's been, it's been a little bit different in that aspect, but yeah, it's just, it's very similar to, I think everybody is always searching for this like story, uh, and like, what's it like? Is it, is it completely different out there? And it's all you see is sand and all the rest of it. Like it's very much like that, like the Western world. It's got a massive American influence on it. I, I feel in terms of only in terms of the restaurants, um, and like the cafes and the um, the takeaways and all the rest of it. There's there's a lot of American restaurants here that I've never heard of. Uh, so it's got a touch on that. The cars that people drive, it's got that sort of American touch, if you like. But yeah, people go out. They'll drink coffee. Uh, they go out to eat. There's activities to do. Um, it's it's very similar to England. I think obviously the main difference that us Brits would moan about is that you can't drink, but that's making me healthier and. Um, allowing me to do a lot more activity myself so there's a there's pros and cons for that one there's a lot of negativity with alcohol and i suppose there's an appreciation of of life more i think you know removing alcohol and and uh, you know celebrating culture and building relationships up with people differently rather than you know the traditional being in a pub or being in a club i think it's, it's interesting how that's opened your eyes and i think it's a skill it's not a skill really but it's a is an awareness that you'd probably appreciate later in life, if that makes sense. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I listened to one of your podcast episodes um, only the other day around around alcohol. Um, and yeah, I think, listen, it is a skill. I mean, my brother's going to kill me for, for having this conversation. He owns quite a few bars and, and pubs back in our hometown. So <laughs> I'm not doing him much favour, to be honest with you. But no, listen, it is, like you say, in England, we go, we go out with a mates. We go out with a mates, we go to the pub. We go out on a date, we end up going for a drink. Um, it's raining, we'll go and sit in a pub. It's sunny, we'll go sit in a beer garden. Which, listen, I am not knocking. It's good fun, you know, all the rest of it. But as you say, you end up socialising the majority of your time with alcohol in your system. And <laughs> there's certainly a lot of people I know that are almost, uh, it's the word I'm looking for, like, they can't socialise. It's socially awkward without having a drink in their system, you know? So... <laughs> Um, just because they're so used to it, so it, it it teaches it teaches you those things. And look, in terms of productivity and um, all the all the mental health positives and um, the positives that not having alcohol in your system for a long time can bring, I'm I'm certainly feeling all the effects of them. That is for sure. So if I bring you back to the football inside, then models, and again, a, a subjective answer to a subjective question, but. Is there longevity here? Is is there a long term plan? Because 
again, looking at the European model, it's been there for, you know, nearly up to 100 years now when you think of the traditional football clubs. You mentioned Man United and football clubs that you support. And then if you look at more recent developments within the sport, you see China and that, that how that's gone. And then now you see the, the surge with Saudi Arabia, obviously the women's game as well. What, what's, what's your thoughts on the longevity of it? Is this a long-term plan that we, where you see yourself in the next 20 to 30 years or is it short-term? I'm just interested on where you think this will go because, again, it's the, it's the, the million-dollar question that everyone in the England and across Europe want to know on, on what's actually happening and, and how will it succeed. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think um, I think to answer the question, um, to start with, it, it 100% has the potential um, to be one of the top women's leagues in world football. Um, we're seeing that push for it in the men's league at the moment. Um, and I think it's got the potential to do it in the men's league as well. Um, but obviously, you know, I'll speak on behalf of, of the women's leagues because um, that's what I see every day. But yeah, it's definitely got the potential. There's The ambition is definitely there. Um, obviously, the finan- financial backing is there, which is a big struggle in a lot of women's football around the world. Um, and I think that it wouldn't surprise me, you know, within the next three to three to five to seven years, if, if this is regarded as one of the top, top three leagues, um, I think you only have to look at um, the amount of players that it's attracting already in this short amount of time that it's been running. This is its second league, second year being full-time professional. And it's first year, really, that I think so many international foreign staff and players have come in. Um, and I've, I've said this previously, like my phone is, people are contacting me every week, every fortnight, um, asking about it asking what it's like, asking um, if there's potential for them to come out here. I've got people ringing me and being direct. I want to get out there. Do you want to sign me? Um, and I'm talking I'm talking some of the best players in, in the world, in, in, in women's world's football, um, not somebody that is um, getting on and retired, not somebody that is playing in the second or third or fourth division. I'm talking the highest level of women's football at the peak of their careers. Uh, I, I pick up the phone um, and, and asking the questions. So obviously it's attracting people at the moment and I don't think that's going to stop. Um, and I think the refreshing thing is everybody, not everybody, but the majority of people that I've spoken to they want to be here for other reasons. So instantly everybody's thoughts when they listen to things like this is, well, it's attracting people because of the money. You know, that's that's what everybody says. Everybody said it when them, some of the men have gone out there and it's the money. That's, you know, they're, they're, they're taking a banknote. Um, but everybody that I've spoken to, I can see is genuinely invested or wants to be invested more than the salary. Um, they want to come and impact, um, pe- you know, um, better the lives of people out here. They want to come and play in this league. Um, and, you know, the, we've, I've had some conversations whereby players have been willing to take pay cuts to come out here. Um, and I think that, that, you know, that's proof that it, it's not just about the money. Um, so, so answer your question. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be massive. Everybody wants to be a part of it. As I said, players ringing me, 
I've got people that I've worked with that I've not spoken to for 10 years that sort of message you and, oh, hi, how are you? And you know what's coming. Um, you know, they want to be a part of it. Um, journalists, different articles, different podcasts want to know about it. Um, so it's not going anywhere and it's only getting bigger. And I think everybody can see that this is the time to, to be a part of it. Because if you, if, you know, if you're not a part of it now, you might miss the boat. Um, so yeah, massive, massive, massive potential, the right people around it, the people at SAF are doing a, a great job of trying to, trying to promote this and, and to get it to where it wants to be. All the people within the clubs are doing a great job. And you can just see there's a real buzz around the whole of the country around women's football here. There's a buzz about it. And um, I, like I said, I, I finished training at 11, half 11 p.m. in the evening. I go to the supermarket with my with my Itihad kit on and people go crazy. You know, they'll do your shopping for you and, oh, Itihad, Itihad. And then they'll ask you about Benzema. And then when you say you work for the women's teams, they're like, you know, the women's team's like, how are you How are you doing? How are you getting on? And you could be stood there for 15, 20 minutes having a chat with them because they're so invested and want to know about it. In England, a lot of the people, you, you, you're saying, as soon as you say the women's team, they're oh, you, you know, thanks, have a nice day type of thing. Not everyone, don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's also evolving great in England as well, but it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but you, you understand what we're trying to say. Um, so, yeah, listen, the potential's there, the ambition's there. Uh, it's... And obviously, the financial backing that the that the federations put in, that the leagues put in, um, it's all there. All, all the all the ingredients are there to to make an unbelievable recipe, and and I think it's it's gonna it's gonna be great. In in terms of that, then, so what's your viewpoints on the the, the standard of play? So obviously, you've you've come from the UK, you've, you you you're in a different league, different climate, weather's different, training regimes are different. How have you found that in terms of the, how you can adopt maybe your philosophy or your playing style to a certain way, but also at the same time you have to maybe adapt to certain things because of the environment that you're you're in and the, the, the individuals that you might be coaching? How, how have you found that as a whole? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think, look, in any environment, whether it's going from a club to club in the same country, you're working with different players, you're working with different individuals, you have a different boss that you have to report to. You've got different constraints, environmental constraints everywhere. Um, so I, for one, believe there is no copy and paste model out there. Uh, I don't think you can do it. Um, so certainly haven't tried to copy and paste things that I've done just because I've worked at West Ham and Man United um, because it, it wouldn't work. I'm working with different players. Um, as you said, I'm working in a different place, a different culture. These players need something very different. Um, so... The level is the level is developing. We've got some, we've got a lot of national team players that have just gone on camp, and, and we're proud of them every single every single day. They are the first cohort of players that are representing the the national team, you know, in women's football, and it comes with a big responsibility and a bit of pressure, you know. And and a lot of them are quite young, but they've got the potential to be unbelievable players. They really have. Um, we've got players here that I've never heard of previously. Um, and I'm working with them now, um, and they could be WSL players. They they they, they, they could play if, if there wasn't all the rules and regulations. They could play in the WSL. Um, they could play in the Women's Championship in England, the top two leagues in England. Um, 
so the players are out there. It's just that nobody nobody sees them or knows about them. Um, but listen, it's not the same level as it is in England. Of course, it's not because it's only just started, and it is developing. But in terms of look, in terms of the way we tried to do things, we've tried to. I think we've laid a good foundation. Um, you have to adapt. Um, we we couldn't come in here and and get things kicked off straight away and implement everything all at once because it would have been extremely overwhelming. It would have been too much um, it, from a physical perspective, but also just from a you know from an overwhelming perspective. Um, so we tried to trip feed little things in, like trying to get the gym programs up and running properly, trying to make sure that the sports science departments implementing good nutrition protocols, good recovery protocols, um, trying to make sure that on the field as coaches, we are creating and designing and delivering a philosophy that the players are capable of. Um, because it's not only, you know, it's not only the technical ability that's developing, it's the tactical ability, it's the tactical knowledge and awareness as well. So, you you know, you can't come to a place and, and have this unbelievable Pep Guardiola master plan if your players don't understand it. Um, so, you know, your, your, your plan is only as good as the, the players that are, that are able to understand and execute it. So it's, um, what I would say is it's extremely refreshing and rewarding to work with the group of players that we're working with, um, because they are so eager and so hungry to learn, um, ev not just once or not just a session here and there, every time you open your mouth they are banned, dialed in, tuned into what you're saying. Um, one extra sessions every single week, one extra individual development sessions. Um, when I compare it to some players that, that that you work with in other in other places, you know that sometimes players think they know it all, and sometimes you know they uh, they believe that they don't need these answers or don't believe these are the right answers or listen of course everyone's got an opinion and that's allowed but the players here are just so eager to get better so hungry to learn so hungry to develop and working with that type of character every day as a coach is it's a dream come true it's a, it's, a, it's a dream come true to be honest with you they're the types of characters that you want and to have a squad full of them normally you find one or two um but to have a squad full of them is you, you don't hear of it and again, it comes back to the culture. It comes back to the culture and how people are here. How do, how does the football club then, as a as a, as an entity, and obviously we mentioned kind of the cultural differences. How does it combat maybe the negative image that it has around you know females and and participation within uh, you know activity from a female perspective? Is there anything that this kind of set out as a philosophy and an agenda, you know, away from the pitch that is important to? You know, Etifac as well as the other football clubs, uh, as well as you know the regional area of the Middle East, to, to try and raise awareness of more equality within the female game. Is there anything that, that that you've come across? I'm just interested if there is that. Yeah, I think as I said to you before, the some of the stories that get written about this place, they almost push it off. They're they're, they're quite strong-minded. They're just quite numb to it. So I don't think they've got point to prove to anyone I don't think that's what they're trying to do I think they know that they're trying to do the right thing and doesn't necessarily need shout into the world the world the world will hear of it just just from natural um you know just through the natural things that they're doing and implementing but yeah as I, it's very similar Safa you know very similar to what to what the FA were trying to do and still are trying to do in 
increased participation, making sure that there's um, opportunities in as many different places as possible for young girls to play, um, making sure that the league is a, which it is a, a full, a fully professional full time league, uh, making sure that the resources are there, making sure that um, players and staff and clubs have got everything they need in place to to make to make a, a professional football environment run how it typically looks, if you like. Um, so I think look, they've got they've got their vision, um, and um, as I say, everybody at SAF is sort of running running and doing a great job of, of making that vision come to life. But I don't think they're trying to. I don't think they try to throw it in people's faces. I think that that's going to happen, and people are going to see it and recognise it um, because they are doing some really, really great work. What's the future hold for you then, Miles? Obviously, relocated. Talks about the development in the Middle East, development of Saudi Arabia, the men's, the women's. What's it look like for you in terms of your your outlook? And obviously, it's hard to pinpoint because you mentioned in the conversation that you got a phone call randomly and. It enabled you to, you know, move to to Saudi Arabia and and, and travel with it, with work. Well, is there anything that you've set out that might see the development of sport where you're at, but also maybe your your goals and objectives going forward? I'm just interested in what your journey might look like. Yeah, well, it's football, so you never know, right? Um, the results determine where I'll end up, whether it's in Saudi or whether it's somewhere else. Um, and that's football. That's what we get ourselves into, and we sign sign contracts. But listen, if 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 I could have it my way, um, I have absolutely, completely fell in love with this project. Um, fell in love with the club. Fell in love with the people I'm working for, the people I'm working with, the players I'm working with. Um, absolutely fell in love with it. So, for me, at the moment, you know short to medium term I, I don't see myself being anywhere else um if i if i'm lucky enough to to be here for two three four five six more seasons then 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 great i think my personal objectives are i want to come here and i want to dominate the saudi league um the saudi women's league um it's going to take time we're a brand new staff we've got a brand new group um but i want to win that league year upon year I want to win the cup year upon year. I want to be in the Asian Champions League and win that year upon year, um, and 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 dominate the league um, and dominate everything about all the competitions we're in. But the other side of it is, as I said before, trying to make sure that I'm doing my bit to develop football over here in the Middle East and anything that I can to 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 make people's lives better, for them to enjoy it more, to make them run around with a smile on their face, teach them something along the way. All of those things, but listen, we're employed to win football matches at the start of it, and as many football matches as I can win, that, that that's what I want to do. So, so for those that might be listening or watching this, Miles, and might be really interested in the project, and they might go, okay, you know, this could be potentially where I want to be. However, I've got you know um, commitments in the UK. I've got a family. You know, I've got children. Is is, is it is it does it accommodate you know people such as that? Because what I get. The impression of, and again, we're biased, and I can imagine we're similar age in terms of our development. But people might go, oh, it's, "It's it's a job for a young person. It's a, it's a job for for someone, you know, who's who's free and and can go and move abroad with no commitments." Is it accommodating in terms of maybe different types of individuals on their journey that might want to relocate to such area? 
I'm just interested on that as a, as a project as a whole because you know we've talked about all these fantastic things, but you know in terms of realism for people that might be watching or listening, it's I'm just interested in how that that's accommodated if it is at all. Yeah, do you know what? I'm really glad you glad you've asked the question because you know I can see people potentially thinking that as well. I think look, let me give you some examples of that. So I, although I may not have as much commitments as other people with children and family and all the rest of it um i've got my partner um i've got <laughs> our dog that which, which uh we wouldn't leave anywhere and the club have been extremely accommodating in helping to sort her visa process to come here to get the dog out here um we've got people in the men's game international staff that are coming out here with families um there's players who I've been picking up the phone to who want to come out here who have got families and it's absolutely no issue. Children, husbands, whatever it may be. Um, there's the, there's no issue whatsoever. So the answer is yes. Like It is accommodating for everybody and anybody um, to, to come and be a part of this should they wish to do it. And uh, do they support you in terms of, you, you mentioned your partner and your dog, but did they, you know, was that supported with in terms of, you know, having an opportunity to find employment in the other areas from your girlfriend's perspective or your partner's perspective. I'm just interested on, on how that works because obviously on the phone, you mentioned at the beginning in the negotiation, I bet all these things crossed your mind, right? But yeah, no, as you said, right from the very first first phone call, um, you know, we had all these questions about Natalie moving, um, that we've got a, a dog, is that going to be okay? Nothing's an issue. No, nothing's an issue here like yes no problem and we'll sort it we'll make sure what you know i remember they had conversations with with natalie um just just one-on-one -on -one with natalie to ask any questions that she had around being a western woman living in the country and any questions that western women might have to make her feel at ease to make her know that she's got the right picture um they went and seeked out you know local veterinary clinics and helped with Natalie's visa process and um, as I said no nothing is an issue nothing's uh, nothing's hard work nothing's everything's everything's okay everything will be everything will be done and sorted and I think even as I said even the even the players that are, are looking to come here with children whether they've got you know husbands wives whatever it may be it's absolutely fine like it's fine. Well, the, the the club will support you. Um, as I said, hiring Abdul Aziz will support. They're unbelievable. Um, and I know I'm not sat on this this podcast um, saying anything to try and promote the club or the country. Or I'm I am i am not reading off a script. And you alluded to it earlier. Everything sounds great, and because it is, <laughs> like it, it honestly because it, it because it is. I think like. I'd be more interested and entertaining if I had this big story or this like something's <laughs> happened that's really bad. Like, I haven't got that. I haven't got an instance of or even a sniff of that. So I, I'm, it's a little bit boring in a sense. I do apologize to anyone listening, but um, it, it, everything is just really good here. It really is. Yeah, it, it might be also as well, Miles, is that especially UK, that kind of stiff upper lip outlook towards certain things. And there's a sense of, a sense of you know arrogance maybe in the uk that we think that we're better than everyone else and then when you actually put yourself out your comfort zone and go to countries such as saudi or other places you actually recognize that there's a lot of downfalls to some of the things that are happening in the uk and it's not as good as people 
think it is, but because you're stuck in that bubble and you're influenced by certain media or the things around, whatever it is that that, that kind of enables that outlook to happen. You, you are, you, like you said, you're, you're a bit naive, but also a bit arrogant to the fact that there's, there is better opportunity out of out of the UK. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think, listen, whilst I was in England, that a lot of colleagues and friends and stuff have gone and worked in America coaching. But, and I always said it's not for me. Like, England's the home of football, right? Or at least we like to think it is. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of the best countries in the world. Premier League is the best league in the world. WSL is one of the best leagues, if not the best league in the world. Um, so we do do a lot of things great. But yeah, I never thought I'd move abroad to work in football. Um but the fact that I've done it, I'm just so happy that I've made the, made a good decision. And I think, like, I'll give you an example of what you just said. I, I went home at Christmas. Um, well, after Christmas, I went home. On, on New Year's Eve, I flew home for a week. We had a bit of a break in the schedule. And listen, don't get, it might have been because of the time of year, because we know post-Christmas and January is an awful time. It's dark. The weather's terrible. Everyone's skin. Um, but being at home in England for a week, I was drained I was, <laughs> I was, I was honestly like, n- not literally, but I was so depressed being there because everyone just seemed so down and something else had happened in parliament or, you know, um, the government were doing something else or there was something else in the news that was depressing and you look outside and it's raining and it's 4pm but it's black and everyone just, like, I was just, I was just like <laughs> zapped of energy after being there for a week because I was just like, I did I don't I didn't know what was wrong with me. I couldn't figure it out. And then I realized when I got back to Jeddah, like I was just drained of like all the I don't know, whatever you want to call it, negativity or just the way people were down. And listen, don't get me wrong, it, it, it's a it's a, it's a rubbish time of year, that time of year. It is for everyone. But that's how I felt being back in England. And look, I, I've really hated on England this this uh podcast. I don't, I really don't. I love it. We do a lot of stuff that's absolutely great in football and everything. But what I'm trying to explain is, like, I was one of those people that always wanted to work in football in England and all the rest of it, and there's no better place. And, and actually, like, for me anyway, it's different for everybody, but for me anyway, this is this is unbelievable. Yeah. Miles, I just want just to say thank you for, for speaking to me today. Obviously, from our conversation, there's always that, and, and you mentioned this earlier, there's always that interest of what is going on. Saudi Arabia, what's going on with the, the Pro League, how is women's football being developed and all these other societal issues that become a microcosm of what's happening um, within, you know, sport as a whole. So I just want to just want to say thank you for, for opening up and hopefully this gives others the opportunity to really explore that. And from a personal point of view, point of view as well, Miles, I just want to say credit to you for taking the jump, credit for you for putting yourself in those positions that have enabled you to have this opportunity and I'm a fond believer of you create your own luck and you know the experiences that you've had are only through your hard work and dedication so I just want to wish you well hopefully there is trophies to come in that trophy cabinet as you mentioned uh, but more importantly good luck in the future and and uh, all the best with the season and the the forthcoming seasons that's very kind words thank you mate appreciate it